Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi everyone, welcome to the Car Chat Podcast and with us this week we have Tom Wood. Hello. Hi Sam, how are you doing? Very good, very good. Can you tell the audience a little bit about sort of who you are, what you do? Yeah, so my name's Tom Wood. I run a business called Kazana and another business called Car and Classic um, and uh, doing that for about six, seven years now and yeah, pleased to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, welcome. So, okay, let's sort of dive into this stuff. Where did this all begin Presuming you've been a kind of car guy from a while. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Originally, originally, it was probably changing engine on an Austin Seven at the age of about nine. But um, oh, nice. Pro- probably, yeah. Probably, it, it wasn't at that stage. It, it got better over time. But um, yeah, that was a bit of a restoration project we, we had back then. But uh, yeah, so petrol's always been in the in the veins. Um, but like this particular journey, I suppose, started about seven years ago with a Jensen Interceptor and, and someone offered me a Jensen, which was in reasonably sorry state for about 11 grand um, yeah. up, in, up in Scotland. And um, I didn't buy it because I wanted, I wanted some data on what was going to happen next. And that was the, that was the beginning yeah. of it all, really. So there was never, there's always been kind of quite good high-end data on, on you know, the, the, the GTO world of classics. But um, yeah. in the, in the every like world. And stuff like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, there's, a, there's a bunch of different sites and research kind of places that will do that. But the everyman world, it was pretty poorly served. So um, I couldn't find anything, frankly. So I wanted to start tracking some trends of everyman classics. And so it was a purely selfish motive. I wanted to start looking at data of classic prices, see how they were changing. Um, and I started crawling data from a site called Car and Classic, which is one of the biggest kind of classic and specialist yeah. sites in Europe. And um that's where it all began, really. So that's where the idea for Gazana began is let's let's create some graphs that show when a vehicle's finished appreciating um, and when it starts to go up in price. You know, hopefully buy some and put them in the garage. <laughs> and, where, and that, was that, what were you doing around this time before you said, oh, okay, I'm going to make this website that starts trawling the internet and gathering data? So I, yeah, I, I kind of originally trained as a software guy and then was in mm-hmm. banking for a little while. And then kind of previous career to this was buying distressed companies and turning them around. So we had a okay. a, a ragtag bunch of um, small and mid-cap companies in the UK, including the UK's last train manufacturer, a little company called Seven Lamb that makes um, oh. like the, the steam trains you see going around Disneyland and stuff like that. It's a really cool little place in the yeah, yeah. So I had, had that, run that for um, four or five years, and I sold out of that in 2012 um, and had some time and a couple of classics on my hand, and that was oh, on my hands, and that was the that was the origin of it all, really. And that was the start. Is it quite easy to pull data from random websites, for example? Well, no, Car and Classics, obviously, it's very easy for you now. Yeah, come escape us. Can we get, get in, Sam? When you're starting out. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I think, yeah, scraping is quite, or crawling, or, bot, or you know, running bots, whatever you want to call it, is, is pretty um, 
kind of well known out there. No, the, the world's biggest scraping company is, is Google, right? You know, Google scrapes every website yeah. to get their results in the listings. So um, it's a pretty mature bit of tech now. I guess you can either get someone to do it for you, you can you can do it yourself if you you, you know know the tools. Um, and it was just that you know it was a it was a very low scale thing at the beginning. We, we were crawling a few websites and just looking at listing prices and how they were changing over time. Um, and just some really interesting stuff. Like I remember looking at MR2s and like generations of MR2s and when they were, cars tend to depreciate, right? When they're, when they're new, yeah. um, although not at the moment, um, there's a really weird used car market right now. Um, loads of demand, not much supply. But they tend to go down and to the right over time. And then there's a point where certain cars become classics, right? Become modern classics and they start to go up yeah. again. This is mirrored, isn't it? I say that way. Um, but yeah, they, 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 the curve inverts and they go the other way. And so that was what I was looking for is when does that stuff happen and what should you be buying and putting in the garage or the barn or whatever um, to try and make some money on? How on Because, okay, the, this sort of curve of, yeah, you start with something that's brand new and it's this price and it slowly goes down until a point and then it starts going up again. But how on earth do you just decide if a car is ever going to bottom out? Obviously, naught is is that's a, that's a quite a hard limiter. But yeah. how do you decide, or how do you work out, or try and work? Presumably, you want to try and work this out when it's going to bottom out, and some cars never bottom out; they just go to the zero. Yeah, or go to scrap value, whatever. Yeah, I mean, let, let's let's yeah. not make your fun and exciting podcast all about the the machine learning parameters of uh, a vehicle. Oh, but I'm interested. I want to know, I, like <laughs> overall. Um, how do you sort of come to these decisions and stuff like that? So, like, there's there's a number of different things that make a difference, right? I mean, the biggest impact on valuation is kind of the mileage of a of a vehicle, right? So, how much has it mm. done over time? Although that the the importance of mileage goes down over time as vehicles become more and more classic. But you've got stuff like scarcity. So, how many of this particular derivative were made? A great example of that is like the one M coupe versus the M two. Um, yes, one M coupe, and the M two was pipped as it was going to be the new one M coupe, right? But there's no mm. scarcity around the M two. There are too many of them. Uh, and so, you know, that's still going down and to the right, whereas the 1M is it's appreciated pretty nicely. And now they're kind of sitting around a, a roughly the same price they were new, slightly above that figure. And yeah. so that's a great kind of practical modern classic example of something that was relatively scarce. There's all the good kind of brake horsepower per ton metrics around it as well. Well reviewed um, and, you know, has an enthusiast following and that will keep the price high because there aren't too many of them about on the road. M2 ticks all the other boxes, right, about brake horsepower per ton and, you know, it's a great thing to drive. But there's lots yeah. of them, so it isn't a classic yet. Because it, and, and actually, MX-5 is a kind of similar problem, right? Great to drive, great fun, um, but a huge number of them about. So it will probably never become yeah, a, a scarce. Exactly, yeah, definitely never get up there. Um, uh, or this doesn't constitute financial advice. And maybe maybe you should all go and buy <laughs> 10 Mark 1 MX-5, and maybe they're all worth millions. Um, so they that might was, double in value. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, I mean, look, look at Series 1 leases right now, you know. There's some really interesting stuff happening there on value. It's kind of 20, 25 grand now. Um when they were oh, wow. five, six. Um, so, yeah, some, some, some stuff. And again, reasonably scarce, like reasonably scarce kind of unmodified and um, yeah. original cars, and this stuff has an effect. So there's a bunch of different parameters, and the, where we ended up with Kazana is you know, the, the way this has been done for years by the traditional books, you know, like the Glasses Guide or, or CAP, if you're in the, in, the, in the trade, you'll know those kind of names. They used to get together once a month, nice, nice bunch of blokes. It probably was all blokes, and they'd decide – Right, this month's value of a Ford Focus or a BMW 3 Series is this. And then they decide it next month. And so they're going to do this monthly yeah. editing approach to setting a value. And it's just wrong, right, especially in a market now that's really volatile. Um, the only way to do this accurately is to look at all these different parameters of the vehicle, and a human can never do that. So we grab all these different parameters, and then we use machine learning. I told you it was boring. Use machine mm. learning to, uh, to crunch them oh, into, um, in, into predictive value. I remember seeing, uh, it was on someone else's podcast recently, and they were doing most popular cars. Uh, it was 911s, and it was like most popular colors. And they were using sale price as an example of a way of picking. And they said, I can't remember what they said the most popular color was. It was something like yellow. And I'm pretty sure everyone listening was like, it's probably not yellow. Like you don't it's really see that on the many generation, though, right? As well, I mean, there's, there's, there's probably. I'm not a big 911 man, so you'll, you'll, you'll catch me out on this. But there's probably is a generation, right, or a certain trim of a generation that maybe looks pretty cool. And we had a 911 SC, 1980 something or other on the um, mm. maybe 90 something or other on the site um, in, in yellow, and it looked. I thought it looked great. Yeah, absolutely. Certain cars, certain colours, etc. I've I've got a yellow 911, and it looks great. What you then get is your data points, 
can get distorted. For example, I think what happened is at an RM auction, a it was like a yellow 993 Turbo S or something, something, something like that, sold for stupid money, like yeah. crazy, crazy money. And the thing, the data point they pulled out was like price and color, ignoring the fact that it was really rare and the guy just really wanted that car because he'd had it when he was four or whatever, all this sort of other factors. Right place, right then, time, provenance, all that other stuff that could affect Exactly. It. Like just, pick, just pulling out color <laughs> doesn't really work in that way. Obviously no. price is a bit more, you can look at these things. Yeah, I mean, we don't just predict price either. So, like, the time it takes something to sell is quite an interesting indicator as well. So you'll have certain mm. trims and certain kind of um, equipment on certain vehicles that will make it yeah. much more attractive and faster to, to shift off a forecourt than something else. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. That that slicing up the data too small problem is is a, is a really common problem in kind of machine learning-driven things, and you need to have a big enough data pot to look at. And so, for example, we don't adjust for colour because it's just too subjective, right? Um, yeah. We, so Kazana works pretty heavily with dealers and we kind of create tools that allow them to do that research. So you can quite easily go and look at, right, let's look at all the 911 sold in the last month. Let's look at the colors of those cars and you kind of make a manual view, right, okay, the yellow ones did do much better or they didn't or they sold much faster or they didn't. Yeah. Um, but that's at the end of that, it's a kind of manual. You can't slice the data up that far to start to price automatically on that stuff. There's always a human element to it, right? Around how does this thing yeah. actually look? You know, is that does that yeah, look yeah, cool yeah. and yellow or does it look like a <laughs> Picanto? And yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, Kia Picanto fans, are any listening? But I, my guesses are aren't too many. Certain, certain, certain cars, certain colours do not work, and I'm endlessly surprised by the number of cars I see. Who are just like, oh my god, that is awful. Yeah. So okay, so you're pulling together all this stuff, and then and this data goes like you said. Does it go to dealerships and people? Do they subscribe to like a service? I don't know how that works. How yeah, so work? we've got like um, we've got little web tools that you can log into and use, um, and we've got APIs that they kind of plug into their um, their systems as well. Um, and we yeah, so we work pretty heavily with dealerships, and then our other big customer group is insurers. So obviously, if you're say you've got a car written off, especially a special car written off or stolen, um, it's typically been pretty hard to get an automated value on that. And it goes into a a manual assessment process and someone kind of takes a view on what that's worth, you know, what is a blue F40 worth? And uh, yeah, there there aren't too many comparables, (laughs) right? It's kind of difficult. So we wanted to create some some research tools that allowed insurers to get to those numbers faster. Um, And so that's what the insurance land uses us for, for being able to price on, on every kind of vehicle. And obviously, you know, Blue F40 is an extreme example, but if you look at electric vehicles, kind of that traditional editorial approach, they don't, we haven't got a clue what they're worth yeah. or what they're trending to be worth over time. So, you know, that's one of the things that we fix is being able to automatically value an electric vehicle today and in the future, which has been something that's pretty hard to do, right? Because all of those brake horsepower per ton metrics don't work anymore. Um, so, no. you know, how, how do you do it? Um, and so that's, you know, we... we bring loads of data into the pot and ask the machine learning to, to come up with the answer for us. So yeah, insurance and retailer are kind of big, big sectors in Kazana. In, in terms of, okay, so, and you've got your head in some of this data. So let's say, let's say like electric cars at the moment, like you said, it's a really interesting one because it's so new and no one really knows how these things are going to go in the future. How, how have you seen, how has the trends been? Has it been sort of conventional car? I don't know middle of the range, Audi, whatever, you know, massive drop off at the beginning and then stabilize over time, or have they been a bit different? I mean, the answer is it depends on what you're looking at, because there's lots of different vehicles now electrified. Um, but what pretty much you know, across the board, what happened is everyone took too negative a view on them. So, mm. you know, like the traditional trade, the traditional guides that were guiding on price took a very pessimistic view of, right, in three years' time, this is going to be useless. You know, the battery's going to have exploded. Yeah. It's not going to have any any charge cycles left in it. And that hasn't happened. You know, there is a there is a, a good used market for electric vehicles. And at the moment, obviously, massively exacerbated by the the new car stock shortage. It's very difficult at the moment to get new cars. Um, yeah. And so there's a, there's a big... Um, there's a bigger proportion of the public that now want a car as a, as a reaction to the, the global pandemic. Um, there aren't, there isn't as much supply. So, and there's a lot of people that want to be, want to make that electric choice. Um, and so yeah, there's a lot of demand for used electric vehicles. Um, and yes, you know, the, the range maybe goes down over time, but it certainly isn't down, down to zero, you know, like that you can still mm. get, um, you know, anecdotally our builder in London, 
has swapped his diesel transits for a few Leafs because you can kind of rip all the back seats out and buying a used Leaf is pretty cheap and he doesn't pay any congestion charge and, you know, you yeah. can roll around town in these things and charge them at the yard or whatever and it, and it kind of works for him. So there's all these use cases that people didn't really think about that are keeping the value of those cars pretty high. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would say not substantially different from a petrol or diesel fuel vehicle effectively, but they've been underrated. So, um what you've seen come into the market off kind of lease deals and stuff like that is some cars that were kind of a bit underpriced. And so there've been some good bargains you you can pick up on electric vehicles over the last couple of years. I think that's kind of finished now. And especially at the moment, everyone's desperate for stock. So people will buy whatever they can get their hands on. Yeah. I've, I got so many stories of friends. Um, uh, Someone went into a dealership. He wanted to order it. I think he was, he was trying to order a new Range Rover and he turned up in a McCann and they were like, uh, you can't get get your Range Rover for like a year, but can we have your McCann well, like then, now? Yeah, you want yeah. it, and we'll basically give you whatever for it. It's crazy if you look at franchise forecourts, who you know traditionally were fairly strict on only retailing franchise cars, and actually had all kinds yeah. of controls around doing that. They yeah, they because of the stocks or shortages that they'll retail not anything. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking down some of our retail partners, but you know that they're. they're, they're they're very keen to get cars in as part X, so they've got yeah. stuff to retail because it's it's really tough right now to to get um, to get stock. And you've seen kind of startups, you know, like Motorway, and you've seen those guys, and um, see companies like We Buy Any Car that, that buy direct yeah. from consumers. They're going through the roof because people are desperate to buy cars off consumers, and, and values are going up. Right, values are up this year about twelve percent since the start of the year. It's 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 mad. Um, but it's, it's a great uh, time to be selling a car. Yeah. Yeah, not and such a like good time to be buying a car. Rent for a few months or something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what your yeah. mate did without a mechanic, without a car for a, a he year. He kept his mechanic. He was like, "I need a car." Right, <laughs> so right. If you've got a, a replacement lined up, it's fine. But if someone just offers you money for okay, if you've got extra cars, fine. But if they're like, "That's your daily," and you're like, "Well, I could get good money for it, but what am I going to replace it with?" Right. Like, yeah. I can't buy another one. Right. Yeah. It's tricky. It's tricky. And um, and yeah, you know, no real end in sight for the shortages it's all driven by the the kind of semiconductor shortage on new cars at mm. the moment and um there's, there's they're saying that could be another 18 months of kind of difficulty on supply chain so yeah it's not going away anytime soon so yeah, you can get great money for a used car right now but, but don't be left without one yeah yeah exactly if you've got extra and you feel like yeah, you want to get rid of speaking of getting rid of cars car and classic where did this get where did this get involved how did you so, decide yeah. and get involved in car and classic? I've always loved that site. It's been around since about 2005 and it's always, but it still is a bit web 1.0. You know, it's, um, <laughs> when, when, we, when, when we bought it, it was very web 1.0 and it was kind of an accidental success story. So I know when we chatted before this, you know, I don't think you, you, you'd use it much or kind of seen it. I've basically not used it. Tom called me up and said like, Oh, like you never <laughs> seem to mention car and classic. I was like, no, like, do you have something against it? Or, like, you know, if you've got some sort of deal where you're not allowed to mention it. It's I too ugly, it, isn't it, Sam? It's too ugly. Let, let's be honest. <laughs> I just don't use the website and I've never really come across it. So it's not intentional. I've just not used it. I haven't taken it personally. It's all right. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I mean, since, I, I've started looking at it. Good, good. Well, I've, I've, I've won, a, won a customer out of that. That's great. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it's it's got the most weird and wonderful selection of everything on it. And it kind of always had and has, and because it's free, um, it's completely free to list whether you're a, um, you know, private individual or a trader, it's never had any barriers to people putting stock up on there. So people, you know, our our biggest traffic day is a Sunday, like the Sunday browse effects, right. Of what Mm. could I put in the dream garage? What could I have there? And, Oh, there's a weird three wheel thing made in France that I've never heard of before, right? It's like there's this great discovery journey that happens on it, you know, alongside GTOs and iron stuff and, and everything in between. Um, yeah. And, and so I first tried to buy it in 2012 because it was, it was run by a nice bloke called Tony, basically from his bedroom that, that built this accidental success story. So when we bought the site, it had about 2 million people a month coming to visit it, um, about 15,000 classic and specialist cars for sale on it so a big old beast i think the biggest in europe already at that point um but just like totally underinvested you know there was no the only money came from advertising um on the site kind of spammy 
um, they weren't kind of charging for any of the services on the site and, yeah. and therefore they weren't able to invest in improving it, right? It was ugly, search was tough, like it didn't work on mobile, all of these kind of things. So we, we failed to buy it in 2012, um, but eventually in 2018, we did a deal. And so Kazana acquired Car and Classic and we brought that into the group. Um, yeah. And, uh, and the first year was just like weirdly building a business because there wasn't, we had all this traffic, all these cars for sale mm-hmm. online, but there was like, you know, the code was a mess. The, there was no, there was no team at all. There was one, one yeah. lady who's still with us called Jane, um, who kind of did customer support and, but nothing else. Right. So this business kind of, yeah. what's a, what's a good comparable of size? Like it's about, it's about a fifth the size of auto trader, which employs mm. about 800 people or something. Okay. Um, and this had Jane, <laughs> like <laughs> it's pretty, pretty insane really. So, so we had to, the first year it was all about building, the the technology and the structure behind it so if the server fell over like the the, the site wouldn't disappear and then we've you know we've slowly improved it and started to bring in some monetization the most recent thing being auctions which we launched literally a year ago this month um and and has gone pretty crazy um since we did so what led to that was that just looking at what's happening in other countries and also starting to happen here I'm going. This seems can, like a good idea. I'll give you the official story, and then I'll get. I'll give you the. the, 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 the I'll give you the true story, uh, which I think is an exclusive, Sam. Um, so the official story is, you know, um, response to COVID, all the dealers were shut. We had to find a way of people being able to transact online. You know, yes, yeah. there are another few sites in the UK, and obviously lots of sites overseas doing this. But we saw an opportunity. We already had all the stock, and we had lots of buyers to kind of sit there in the middle. The unofficial story is when I bought the site, um, or the real story, when I bought the site, we had, we still have most of the kind of traditional physical auction houses doing all of their consignment and doing all of their advertising on the site completely for free. Um, And so, you know, they're calling up all of the private advertisers and they're saying, do you want to consign your car to the auction? And then when they've got it consigned and they've taken their nice photos, they're advertising it and they're um, they're driving traffic to their auctions through the site. And so I'd started calling some of these up after we bought it. And I said, hey, we've seen you using the site. You know, we bought it now. We want to try and improve it, improve the search. And for that, we need some money. Do you mind paying something towards it? And I think the, the most I managed to extract was 200 quid a month out of one of them. <laughs> and like, okay, right. Well, this probably isn't going to be a business. Um, and then I had an old um, a B7 RS4 to sell about a year later. And I called up one of these mm. auction houses. And I was like, oh, it's Tom from Car and Classic. Can I, do you mind consigning my B7 RS4? Obviously, getting yeah. all this value from us. Do you mind? Yeah, that's absolutely fine, sir. It's uh, 12% um, seller's fee. <laughs> and, yeah, just like standard rack rate fees. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. all right. Um, and, and that was what drove me. Like, hang on a second. You know, they're, they're doing all the consigning. Probably not doing all the They're doing a lot of consigning from us. And yeah. they're doing all their advertising with us. Um, should we not just be, you know, trying to, if, if they won't pay us for it, should we not be trying to do something in the middle here? And that's really yeah. where it came from. Um, you know, that was 2019. And yeah, COVID definitely accelerated it. We, we probably wouldn't have launched it quite so quickly if um, if COVID hadn't come along and kind of shut down all the dealers and stuff. And, and yeah, kind of went live in, in June um, 2020, uh, a year ago, and growing really nicely. And look, it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's getting to be quite a busy market now in the UK. There's, you know, feels like mm. one of these popping up every month when these sites doing it. Yeah. All kind of inspired from the Bring a Trailer model out in the US. I think they were like the first people to take it was a blog basically wasn't it originally talking about stuff that you could trailer away and then the monetization model they found was building the auction who did they get bought by they got Uh, bought by someone big hearst hearst media yeah um which is like a big publisher that owns they own in blackbook which is one of the u.s valuation companies and a bunch of other magazines and stuff um about a year ago i think um Still, yeah, still seems to be going really strong in the US market. Um, and yeah, so we kind of, we looked at that model. The thing that we wanted to build in ours, and the thing that took us the ages to get live, um, uh, was fully replicating the the experience you get in a physical auction. And for us, the bit okay. that was missing is in a physical auction, if you go and sell a 250 GTE for 400 grand, um, you are not worried about that person coming to your house with 400 grand or doing a bank transfer to 400 grand on your living room table. It was a bit grubby. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the great thing that physical auction house experience did was it dealt with that for you. So they deal with that transfer into your bank account, less the commission. Yeah. So for us, that was really important to kind of replicate that experience. So what took us ages was kind of getting the banking licenses in place and the, the systems in place to be able to do escrow. So with the current okay. classic auction, when the, when the hammer goes down, you don't, just kind of pay your commission you pay the full fee to car and classic and then we pay that fee less our commission out to the seller of the car yeah. 
when both parties say they're happy. So when the seller says, yep, you know, I've done that transfer, I've given them the keys, and when the buyer says, yep, I've seen this, the condition is good, um, you know, it's as described, and I'm happy to release the funds. So for yeah. us, that was important bit to have kind of that, that that was the missing part of the online auction experience because then you haven't got that that sketchy money transfer piece that um yeah 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 just the like hey you chat to you over there and should be good and there are some horror stories around that right like i'm not going to name names but there's a few like oh the hammer's gone down great you know we've taken off five percent off you uh, there's, there's, one, there's one in particular on the, on the forums it's, it's a 911 uh, i think it's gt3 and it's um you know, they're like, here's a guy in Hong Kong. Here's his email address. Like, no address. Just, just like email address. Best of luck. Off you go. And, uh, and you got to go and try and sort that out. And I, I've got no idea, you know, the import, export side of that. But yeah, like money yeah. transfer and the currency transfer and all that kind of stuff. Like it's, so, so we didn't want to be expensive lead generation. We wanted to be, you have sold that car. Hammer's gone down. We'll deal with that bit for you. And that means, that makes our life a lot harder, right? Because there are people that have issues with cars when they transfer, there are issues occasionally with condition and we sit in the middle of that and we are, you know, we arbitrate, we make sure that the car goes to its new home or if it doesn't, we find out why. And we kind of, we, we sit there in the middle of that transaction and we, we reckon that's, that's important, right? If we're going to make a dent in the mm. physical auction space. Do you see any cars? Do you see any cars or do they all get sort of, so they, they send the photos, post them on the blah, blah auction and then it's all happens or does people look at them and stuff like that? Oh, we, we see every car. So um, the people that write about the car are the same people that go and take the photos. Um, okay. And they go and kind of, there's a, there's a tiny number actually of overseas cars we're starting to bring in where it's user-submitted photos. And we always call that out on the auction listing. So you'll see yeah. maybe five on the site that are like that. But other than them, yeah, we go and see every single car. We get underneath it. We take photos of all the nasty bits and we try and um, yeah. Yeah, describe it as accurate as we can. It's what you need. You need someone that's not involved, <laughs> basically, to go and you know poke it apart. Because if you're buying, I think mo- most people now are comfortable with buying stuff over the internet. Definitely, COVID has accelerated that massively. Like yeah. buying cars without seeing them. As long as you you know that when I do go see it, as long as it is what it is, great. But if I trust someone else and there's enough photos and whatnot, then like should be all right we've also got that's a pretty awesome proof of what they said it was right you know it's not like you're not relying on a six line advert and six photos yeah. you're like you've got 200 photos here in a full descriptor state. so if something isn't working that is described as working one of those photos is you know this was clearly taken five years ago and actually that's now rusty you've got some really nice proof you know as to well that isn't what you said it was um so yeah look i mean i i, I like the physical component of cars i like going to the events and so on um, I kind of enjoyed, you know, um, to an extent, rolling around on a cold aircraft hangar floor, looking under cars and checking they're okay. <laughs> but the, the reality is, it's a better for most consumers. It's a better customer experience of to sit there on your sofa, browse two hundred images, read an editorially written description, and, and take time. You know, our auctions always last seven days. So you've got time to make your decision mm-hmm. on it, as opposed to this car's now on the block, and you've got you know thirty seconds to fight over it, and that's yeah. it. Um, so. Yeah, you know, we, we think that's the future. I'm sure there will be a space for events, you know, like especially in the high-end stuff. That is more of a champagne-drinking fun day out, right, than it is a, a transactional focus. Um, and I'm sure those things those, those things will, be, will, will remain. But, um, yeah, you know, for us, for the, for the mass market of classics, this is the future. Like you said, there's loads. There seem to be a lot of companies springing up. And I don't really know how it's all going to pan out because – the more and more and more, ultimately, you get to a point where you're like, okay, this is another auction website or whatever. But presumably being being established to start with is a good starting point. I think brand's really important. And I think those consumer experiences through it are really important. And I think people will make or break reputations off the back of that. Um, you know, it's probably relatively easy to spin up a site and do the introduction bit and you know, mm. um, there's technology you can license to do that. Um, it's also a big market, right? You know, 25, 26 billion pounds worth of classic and specialist cars retailed annually in the world. We've got a couple of billion pounds worth of transactions that happen through our platform every year. So there's plenty for, you know, a few players to exist in that space. Uh, but yeah, no, you know, it does seem to be the, obviously, you know, lots of people have been inspired by, by bringing a trailer and have seen the other sites kind of popping up and everyone's having a bit of a go on it, aren't they? Um, 
So yeah, it will be super <laughs> interesting to see how it how it pans out over the, uh, the, the the coming months and years. But it's definitely here to stay. I mean, it's not like with you know, some people feared with kind of lockdowns ending and, and, and dealers reopening and auctions reopening, physical auctions reopening. You know, this online retail thing will go away, and it's not. It's really stuck. If you look at you know, same kind of thing in the in the modern car world, right? Your kazoos and your cinches are still yeah. you know thriving and growing really fast, despite the fact that the lockdowns have ended. You know, people a big chunk of the the population are very happy to transact in this way online. Yeah. And I think I, I, I might be wrong, but I think there was a little bit of an illusion that people like going and looking around used car dealerships and showrooms and whatever. I don't think people really do. I think some people do. And sometimes it's fun in an afternoon to just go and have a whatever. But if you're looking for a particular car, you basically want to find the exact car you want before you go and visit it. You don't want to visit five that are not what you said yeah. or what they say. And it's, I think it, it's, it's changed a lot where people are like, well, I don't actually have to waste this time anymore. Now that this stuff is out there, more eyeballs will see it. Like from a, I know a couple of, um, talking to another auction house, they were saying they get a bunch of dealers list their stock on their, on their, within their auctions because just not that many people see that particular dealer's website yep. and they could have a car that's just not selling and it could sell for more. And they do often they sell for more than they, or the same that they were listed for, but hasn't sold for a year by listing it online. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we see the same thing. So probably 25% of our auction stock is dealer stock um, coming in mm. and it's, yeah, it's all about getting more eyeballs digitally on it. I mean, I completely agree with you. I think, I agree with you. I think there is a there's still a physical component around buying a premium car. I'm gonna I'm gonna get banned by Kia or something. But maybe if you're buying an A to B car like a Kia Picanto, then you don't need to see it and smell it and sit in it and um, and test drive it and those kind of things. Or if it's modern and you know what it is, yeah. Like if it's two years old and you've driven another one, they're probably going to be the same. Yeah. If it's got yeah. warranty or whatever. Totally, yeah. I, I, I do think, though, in the kind of the premium or the more premium end, there is a, you know, we both love cars, right? There's an element of the smell of it and the feel of it and the feel mm. of the switches and the button, that kind of stuff that if you haven't driven one of them before, there's still a need to go and physically interact with that, right? Yeah. And so there, I, I believe there'll be a, a physical component, even if you're doing the lead gen bit first, right? So even if you're finding it, you're putting your name and your deposit down against it, there's still a, but I want to go and see it and interact with it. Yeah. But, and we see, look, even with the um, the online the online only, you know, the cinches and the and the kazoos of the world, they're they're launching these experience centres, right? These physical places where you can go and you can kind of put your name down, but you still get to go and see the car before you pick it up, kind of thing. So, mm. um, I think they're they're recognising that as well. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not entirely digital end to end just yet. I think that's a while away. Yeah, I think so. But it's yeah, it's it's definitely moving. It's moving in that direction, like you said having an experience, like a buying experience. I would like to see more, like when you go to a dealership or whatever, moving forward, I want them to be cool places that you want to go into, (laughs) that are not locked. Yeah, and yeah, you you know, you get welcomed into and you get welcomed to browse and those kind of things, right? Um, Yeah. You know, I think that's, presumably turning up in a Blue F40, you do get welcomed actually thinking about it. But but that, that, that whole thing around what we've turned up in, right, that has an effect, no? But when you're turning up to buy an F40... And you're just in t-shirts and shorts, and you've come on the tube or whatever. Yeah. You don't get treated the same. Right. <laughs> some places you do, some some you do, but a lot just go like, yeah, whatever. Like you yeah, can have a look around. Like, I think I hope that's changing, right? As you know, as a new generation kind of comes into yeah. wealth and perhaps isn't wearing three-piece suits all the time. You know, I, I, I hope that's changing. But yeah, there is. I'm sure there are still old-school elements to the trade, right? That 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 still existing in that whole. Yeah, does it? Does he look like he's he's got it or not? Is that you know is a is a, is a part of the decision making? You know, I, I as, as a man that um, yeah only ever wears t-shirts and shorts. Like it's uh, like I don't I don't like that either. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it's definitely changing, and the places that don't do it are suffering because of it, whether they know it or not. Like, and you get I remember it was always I used to live in South Kensington, and down the road was the Lamborghini showroom, and right. it used to be locked. You used to have to buzzer to get in. And I mean, not that many people actually go into like a really high end showroom anyway. 
Like they don't, they don't just like turn up and go, oh, it's a Bugatti showroom. I'm just going to walk in and look around. I right. don't think many people, people have this sort of idea that they can't go in. Yeah. They're like, oh. Uh, uh, many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Only if I've ordered one can I sort of go in the showroom. But yeah, Lamborghini, they used to, the door used to be shut. And then it changed and there was like a, I think it was a, a company-wide policy that was like, you are not allowed to lock the door. <laughs> and the door crazy. should You're not going to go in there open. and nick one, are you? Like, well, what's the rationale around that? Why, why would you have a shop front that's locked? Yeah, it's kind of it just It just puts people off, doesn't it? Going in and having those memories as a kid, like sitting in a supercar or something when you're yeah. little. Although... Yeah. God knows what little kids now, by the time they can drive, what will there be available? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of scary, isn't it? I mean, that's why I love things like um, like the revival at Goodwood, right? Because I mean, my son is three years old now and you're wandering mm. around the paddock and he's obviously super interested in cars because he's, you know, sees, sees all the stuff that I get up to. And, you know, yeah, there will be people that pop him into, you know, Jim Clark's Formula One car or something, and you know, have a yeah. little, get, get a photo with it because I had a photo in that when I was a kid, and that's what got yeah. me into it. And I've gone to, and that stuff is beautiful, right? That's the stuff that turns you into petrol heads and you know, gives you the warm yeah, fuzzies. And it's, um, yeah, so I'm, I, you know, ho- hopefully that stuff will still be allowed, right? By the time, the time he gets to his mid thirties and can buy one, yeah, who knows? I think it'll be allowed. I don't know. I think the problem we well, were talking to someone about this today. The problem we might see, and I don't know when will be availability of fuel. I yeah. think that might be the thing that ultimately stops people driving cars. If every petrol station, if it is no longer a petrol station and petrol is £10 a litre or something and you have to get it delivered to your house. Yeah, I think it's a market economics thing though, isn't it? So I think, I think it will, if fewer people want it, it will get more expensive and more specialist. Um, but yeah, there'll still be an enthusiast market and you know you can imagine at the tracks or whatever, there'll be fuel pumps and so on i mean the reality is the the emissions you know the 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 co2 kind of side of classic cars is is very minimal right because they're not they don't tend to be driven very far or very often you know they don't tend to be daily drivers (laughs) going very far right um they weren't made recently (laughs) right they weren't i mean that that yeah definitely the co2 the carbon cost of making the thing is pretty pretty sunk by now um so actually it's a pretty harmless hobby from that point of view if you think about the difference you can make by electrifying every bus versus electrifying every classic car you know like it's pretty significantly uh biased towards sorting the buses out first so i'm not too worried about that from a yeah from an environmental point of view but i think i think you're right you know i think it will i also think we're a long way away right we've got i think 0.6 percent 0.7 percent of the used vehicle market at the moment is electric cars um so it's it's got a long old way to go and there, there are decades before more stuff is electric than and it is wet fueled because, of course, everyone, even yeah. if everyone stops manufacturing it in 2025 or 2030, um, there's still going to be all of the used ones kicking around, right? 37 million used cars in the UK kicking around that have still got engines and yeah. will still need to be allowed to be used. So we're a fair way away from it, I think. But um, yeah, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. And for I, me, it's I heritage, so. right? <laughs> Thank you. That's yeah, it. Like, it's all these kind of cool old things that are kind of fun. Like, it would be good to. I think they'll they'll still be around. All of the the general transport type stuff, yeah, that will all go to something else, and that's fine. I don't have a yeah. problem with that. Um, your your point about them not getting driven that much is so true. Someone 
I, I commented on something, I can't remember what someone was having a go about, and I said, oh, I, I'm quite a fan of electric cars and cities, and I want there to be less pollution. Was, we were talking about um, the whole Audi diesel gate thing, and yeah. someone was looking at suing or saying they're going to sue uh, because they got sold a car that had the wrong whatever. And I said, well, actually, I feel that as a member of the general public and as someone that lives or might be driving behind said car, I have a very valid right to be able to sue (laughs) for like all the health benefits and whatever. And this guy came in and was like, yeah, but if you really cared, you wouldn't drive an F40. I was like, hang on a minute. What? Smells lovely. This what is are you not the same about? thing. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is unrelated. And all, and your point about like the miles thing, like if I own five cars, I can only drive one car at once. So right. it doesn't matter how many cars someone owns. Like, You're doing a service, taking those one. others off the road, right? <laughs> exactly. Less, less traffic. It's an interesting one. And yeah, and things just these things just don't get driven anywhere near as much as your taxis or your buses or your yeah. day-to-day high-mileage transport. No, no, if you, I mean, I cycle a lot in town and mm. the things that, you know, belch fumes at you and are horrible when you're cycling along are the buses and the the TX4s or whatever, like the old taxis that still run yeah. kind of Gen 1 transit engines or whatever they're running in them. And, and it's awful, right? And you, you drive behind a relatively modern Euro 6 car and actually it's not too bad at all. And obviously, yeah, EVs also great around town, but it's... I worry a little bit. Everyone's a bit extreme around these things. Like everything's got to be an EV overnight, and actually, that's not going to be no. practical for lots of use cases, right? If it's a truck trundling along a motorway, not near any children, right? Then actually, it's probably fine carrying on being diesel for quite a long time because it's efficient. It can do long distances. Like you don't, we don't need to go and electrify all of those overnight. Um, but yeah, like London delivery van probably should be electric, right? Probably makes quite a lot of sense. Yeah. You can go and charge it up in depot. But it's about balance, and I fear a little bit that everyone's just flicking this switch to, oh, everything's got to be electric now, and, and obviously the, the classic car electrification seems to be beginning, right, around... What do you think of that? My personal view, I mean, look, we've got people advertising electric classic cars on the site, and everyone's welcome, right? My personal view is that's part of the appeal of a classic car for me, right, is being able to double the clutch and, you know, downshift and have, you know, it's just, and the yeah. sound and the smell and the experience of that is, is all part of the piece of art that you're driving. Right. So for me, it's important not to take that bit away from it. Um, and I think there's enough of the market that feel like that, that we're not going to see, you know, high, high percents of the classic cars kind of converted, but um, each time. Oh, right? it's, it's still, and it's not that cheap to convert something. And it's, it's, I, I think, there's a case for all of these things. If you live in a city and you want to drive a classic around and you're conscious that you don't, you know, you want the EV benefits of it, yeah. or you have a car that had a pretty crap engine to start with. If it's like... Beetle. If it's one of those... Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like One of those use cases where you're like, this doesn't really matter and this yeah. might be quite fun as an electric. Maybe like an old Fiat 500 or something. I'm sure they definitely had a bit of character, but as an electric car, probably pretty great around town. I think it's a cool way of, of getting new adopters, right? Like if you think about, so ignore the people that are already into their classics and you think about someone mm. that lives in town, loves the look of an old Beetle, but wants to be you know, uber eco-conscious around it. And then that's an opportunity for them to have one and electrify it. And there's another new person in the classic car world that, you know, is advocating the benefits of driving something different, you know, unique. I think that's kind of cool, right? So, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not completely anti it. I would never do it, right? I, for me, it's an important part of the heritage. And I, you know, I think these are a lot like art. It's beautiful to see them on the streets. It's beautiful to see these things that yeah. mean, I've, I've got an old Rover P5B coupe and every time you fill that up, someone comes up to you and says, my dad had one or, you know, somebody I used to know had one. And there's always a little chat about it. And that's beautiful, right? Especially yeah. in Britain where we're not the most open about kind of having those ad hoc conversations. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, that's, that's great. And I think it'd be a great shame to, to, you know, to lose. And I, I don't think we will. And it's, you know, it's difficult, this, this, the eco stuff, because where do you stop, right? So is art then a bad thing because people travel to art fairs and travel to art auctions and like you pay money yeah. to re- and use chemicals to restore art? Like where does it end we've still got some fun so balance is key yeah i remember i can't it was a while ago when was it two strokes 
two strokes motorbikes banned at one point or something i think banned now i know two stroke outboards you're not allowed to sell two stroke outboards anymore i know that so i think think it was um, the same on motorbikes yeah it was something like i can't remember what it was it was almost it was back when i had a motocross bike and there was something coming in and people didn't want four stroke bikes because they were heavier and then they sort of replaced them anyway but someone compared it was like the emissions from i think it was like all bikes of all time was the same as one super tanker coming from China right. to the UK. Love and it. you're like, okay, like, yes, there's certain things like cars being more electric and stuff like that. But, and I know it's part of a bigger picture and I'm definitely for the bigger picture, yeah. but we really should focus on some of these things. Like if we can, that make a huge difference. Let's look at the data. Yeah. And, and do the things yeah. that make a big difference fully. Like my, my house is covered in PV. I quite like PV as a way of like generating free electricity for mm. using it in the house. Makes quite a big difference. Happy days. But yeah, you know, as I said, you, and, and I'd love to, there must be some data out there, right? If you're going to electrify every classic car, A, what's the carbon cost of making all the batteries to do that? Uh, yeah. And B, what difference is that actually going to make to emissions at the end of the day? My guess is, probably going to have a harmful effect as opposed to a beneficial one. Yeah, I imagine electrifying a classic car. Well, okay, but then you're probably not using a new battery at this point, so it then gets interesting. If it was a new battery, I feel like there's no way that classic car is ever going to sort of re-earn back what you save from CO2. Health benefits in a city or whatever, absolutely you will. Like I, I do feel bad if I'm driving one of the one of my cars that's got no cats or something, and there's someone behind you. You're like, I know what that's like, and that's awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, it's difficult in cities, isn't it? For, for years we lived in central London as well, and um, it's just no fun either, right? There's so many speed bumps, and old car no. suspension isn't as good, and it's you know the, the 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 fun is still like a Sunday morning run around town is still a nice thing because the roads are kind of empty and the yeah. town it's okay, but you know becoming limited right so you can kind of see the argument for electrifying perhaps from those specific use cases but i'm sure i'm sure most people with classic cars live in the sticks and therefore you know um very limited yeah Yeah, absolutely where's the future in all this stuff not not electric cars in in the city classic car and classic uh good question big question um well i think (laughs) we've seen that we've seen the mix change so having bought it off a 65 year old man called tony who kind of liked his 50s classics Mm. and that was his era. That was his bedroom wall stuff. You know, my, I'm 37. My bedroom wall was slightly different. Um, and, and we're seeing that that bedroom wall effect, right? So the, the modern classics coming through on the site are the most sought after things, right? That's the biggest audience yeah. growth is like the 20s and 30s audience. And and really cool. Um, we're, we're no longer kind of, I think when we bought the site is about 85% male. Like we're starting to see a bit of a bit of a, it's still not level, right? But we're seeing seeing more of a gender balance on the site, which is which is kind of nice. So we're seeing, yeah, new people come into into the market and, and be interested in the cars. So I think yeah, my job is to make and our job is to make sure that we're keeping it relevant for the new generation of classics. Yeah, what's what is a classic? I mean, like the the official <laughs> definition is like thirty years or something, isn't it? But uh, but you you know that one M and an M two example, right? Like yeah. one M. What's the one M now? Maybe it is 15, 20 years, 15 years, something like that. Um, oh, God, so I didn't feel like it was that long ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start to realise this stuff. But that was, I remember when that came out. It's a long time ago. Um, yeah, so, you know, I think that 30-year rule is a little bit arbitrary, a bit silly, because you've got modern classic stuff. But for, certainly from a price performance point of view, right, that's mm. going up, you know, way earlier than that. Um, you see it with, you know, uh, new new limited edition Porsches and stuff like that, and, and various of the new cars. Right, there's always been that like buying the list slot effect on relatively low run yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean it's a really difficult question. It's basically it's something that I think it's some something that somebody buys because it's special and it's got some special history for them, and you know it's something they kind of always wanted, whether that's from ten years ago or fifty years ago. You know, for me, still my dream car remains the Bentley Blower, right? And I, I would I would love to have one of them. <laughs> that was not my bedroom wall because you know I, I wasn't born yeah. in the twenties, but um. Like it's still an awesome piece of art and an awesome thing to have and, and trundle around. It probably not in town to that um, emissions and cyclist point. <laughs> you'd but, get a um, lot of thumbs up though. You yeah, you'd get let out of junctions, wouldn't you? Like the, the, the getting let out of junctions effect is a an important one to look at. You you get let out in that. You get let out in a mini. 
I've got an aerial nomad. You always get let out in an aerial nomad, like <laughs> normally because you're dripping wet. Um, so it's the yeah, you know, there's there's that that effect is kind of um, yeah, that's important. I think in in, in my garage. Um, but yeah, no, it's, yeah. What, it's anything people are passionate about, right? I always say, you know, the sites like Auto Trader are the sites you go to for the cars that you need, and the sites like ours are the sites you go to for the cars that you want. You know, it's about passion. <laughs> All right, that's that's probably the best way of defining it. Yeah, 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 definitely. What's the Nomad like? Batshit crazy. Can you say batshit crazy on your <laughs> podcast? Um, <laughs> you have already, so it's, it's fine. Got, it's twice. Um, it's great. Yeah, I mean, I haven't got the supercharged one. I've just got the naturally aspirated um, uh, 235 brake one, which is plenty. Uh, on mud tires, it's how much, like... How much does it weigh? Uh, 600 kilograms, so um, not not very much. Okay. And that's well, so, but like, pretty, pretty quick... Yeah. And is, and it's on like some kind of like mud tires or something. Yeah, so like fourth gear, you know, round a roundabout, you can get the back end out, and it's super controllable. <laughs> and not that I would, because that's irresponsible. But like, you, you basically feel like you're Ken Block w- everywhere you go, even if you've got zero driving <laughs> skills. So it's um, it would yeah, be possible, yeah, yeah, yeah. In theory, yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's my school run car, so my son gets picked up from nursery, and that kind of uh, likes it. So it's a yeah, oh, nice a bit, bit different. You have to drop him in through the roof. But it's it's brilliant, um, yeah, lovely a lovely bit of British engineering, and so well engineered. And you know the, the backstory on that car is um, the guy that founded or, or reopened Aerial um, wanted to build supercars, but the problem with supercars quite often is stuff doesn't work. You know, like the electric windows break, or the yeah, electric, yeah, because they're yeah. so low run cars, right? There's no time to engineer that stuff properly, um, or not enough volume to kind of test that stuff properly. And so he just said, well, let's not put any of that on there then. Let's just go as, as, <laughs> as bare bones as we possibly can so there's nothing to break and go wrong in it. And it works. But the yeah, the weld quality and the engineering in it is beautiful. It's a lovely thing. That's nice. It's always nice to have something that just like, when it's static, you look at it and you go like, ooh, that's done really well. Yeah. Like, this, yeah. Is, this probably last. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, when it's, you, yeah. To be proud of and yeah. you don't have to worry about looking under body panels to see what's up under the panels <laughs> there's nothing there aren't any. yeah yeah um no, it's a silly thing it's absolutely you know it's not a car that you need right but um it's special and the, and the theater which i think a lot of people whether they admit it or not or not like a lot of people that have special cars like classic cars or whatever that's part of it right is it starting a conversation mm. it's being different on the way that you go from a to b like it's that's a great car for that right yeah. petrol pump conversations are good sound like a loser that spends my entire day uh, talking to people at petrol pumps but uh but no it's a it's a nice thing yeah putting five pounds in turn around <laughs> yeah, drive around, around about, come back in oh just gotta fill but up to be again. fair the, the nomad tank is about 15 quids worth so you're, you're there quite often yeah that's yeah <laughs> so what what's the range does it is it a problem or not so bad? Um, I mean, look, you don't do kind of crazy distances in that car. What is the tank is probably 20 litres or something. It's not very much. Um, but you don't. I mean, it's quite noisy. It's quite a noisy place to be. And where we live, like, there's a lot of dirt tracks and stuff. So it tends to be just like a hour or so blah. It's probably more like your crosser, you know, would have been back in the day. That, yeah. that kind of use class than um, anything. Yeah, too short, special. sharp, fun. Yeah, quite. Quite. but i'd love to do a long trip in it there's a there's a few people out there on youtube that kind of um run them long distances across europe and stuff and but you know there's, there's no storage there's no lockable storage on it so like what do you do if you're going on a long trip like where do you put your stuff like it's yeah I think is it's there any good. storage at all uh there is a, the boot is under a, a the nose kind of the nose cone panel and you can take that mm. off and there's this little tight i don't know like 20 centimeters by 10 centimeters you can put <laughs> okay. your lunchbox in there um but that's it uh can you tie a bag to the the cage yeah yeah you could yeah i mean that's what people, yeah, people like literally yeah lock a bag onto the cage and that's about it. but yeah not, not a very practical thing but but great fun do they have a do they have a spare tire on the back yeah that's an option sometimes yeah you, yeah, you, you, you can okay yeah. so you could you could like attach one of those big bags that people get on, on the top uh, of that yeah or drive with someone else in a, who's in another car do this trip <laughs> with a friend and then you put your bag in the car. It all, all becomes a bit Bezos super yacht at that point, doesn't it? When you need another <laughs> super yacht to carry a helicopter because you can't fit it on your first yeah. super yacht. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just put your luggage in the passenger seat. That's it. No passengers. Yeah, that's the that's the key. Um, but yeah, I need to I need to do a long trip in that one. Um, 
yeah, fun thing. But a long trip could be two hours. <laughs> yeah, cool. I mean, they could, actually, mine came with the optional extra of, uh, like, Bluetooth um, uh, noise-cancelling intercom because you can't hear anything. Oh, okay. Even the person sitting next to you, you know. So, um, yeah, two hours is probably about right. <laughs> well, they are, they are fun things. I, I would, I'm definitely keen to have a go in one-on-one because they look suitably stupid. Like, kind of a catering but kind of blown up, like inflated yeah. in some way like tonka toy thing and it's got yeah four the four lights across the top which are completely pointless because you when you turn them on you can't see anything because they backlight the windscreen <laughs> but um it looks really cool so that's good <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant right well i normally wrap these up with five questions which yeah. i haven't prepped for which i'm not at all worried about yeah that's key that's yeah. that's a key part of it right. not having prepped for them do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey yeah, um, it was one of those banger rally things um, we did. My, my my wife is Italian, and my first experience of Italy was arriving in Rome in a um, uh, a seven three five i BMW that we bought for a hundred quid from a nice. man with one ear up in up in Norfolk <laughs> somewhere um, on one of these kind of you have to, you have to buy a car for less than two hundred quid and, and drive it. And yeah. We, we got it to Rome. It was, it was called Home to Rome. So we go from London to Rome. And then um, you're supposed to scrap the car when you get there. Um, but I loved this thing so much. It had done so well. We had that and, a, and a, my mate had a W124 Mercedes estate. Um, we've got to take these home. We've got to keep these because we love these cars yeah. so much. And so we drove back from Rome via Munich and Oktoberfest. And, yeah, the, the, the BMW had popped the... Um, the the auto transmission fluid coolant radiator had mixed with the main fluid so it was pumping cheese around the cooling system right since rome (laughs) and it still made it home and it's still i think we sold it 300 quid a few years later i just you know those experiences with a bunch of mates brilliant um that sounds very good yeah no bunch of mates slightly stupid trip that needs to be well i've done a bunch of trips over the last couple of years it is to sort of slightly silly cold places like sweden and stuff like that yeah and the one thing that we've sort of learned from this is the more difficult you make it the more memorable it is like the person that sets off in a range rover doesn't have that much fun they right. get there everything's une- like uneventful yes there is an extreme you don't want to be at the extreme where your car has no range and breaks down every five minutes but I did it a trip to Sweden and back in, in my old 911 and that was wicked. And we've had a few cars on the trip that were a pretty extreme and it's so much more fun. Yeah. If it's, if it's a bit interesting and a bit challenging and then you bond with your mates cause you yeah. have to. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not fit for purpose is, is ideal on those trips, right? That's, that's, what, that's yeah. what you want yeah. really. Yeah. But, but, but you're right. Not too extreme. We, yeah, we did a charity thing. So the the Kazana company car, company mascot, is a thing called a Bambi, which is a 1984 one person one seat. It's like the poor man's PLP 50, basically. That okay, I yeah, a few years ago, and um, uh, we did this this charity run in micro cars down London to Land's End, and this thing's oh, got a nice. 50 cc engine. It's like half a moped, and we're running this down like the A30. It was horrific. Like that must have been sketchy. Scary, wobbly experience of my life and that that that's to your point that's the that's the wrong end of the uh yeah get for purpose spectrum that was too far <laughs> this thing looks very sketchy it's incredibly scary. It's got three wheels yeah yeah one at the back yeah it's awful and the, yeah the subframe kind of twists when you go above about 15 miles an hour so yeah <laughs> i recommend that for sweden stick with the 911 <laughs> five car garage unlimited value uh xj220 uh bedroom wall car um Ooh. probably xjr15 as well because it was, that was another bedroom wall car bentley blower couldn't get rid of my p5b you know i've had my p5b um since i, I, I got it for free during a lockdown at uni and i never get rid of that car so that's in there mm. you got a practical daily or ro- usable road kind of car <laughs> what are we talking about well we don't, i don't need one of them that's these, these are all fine but <laughs> I've got. I mean, I, I love my Disco Four I, as an all-round car that does mm. everything. Like we, we live on a farm, and it tows massive farm trailers. It's probably not supposed to, and goes anywhere. And yeah, you can take seven people out for dinner, and once you've scrubbed it up, it looks kind of nice, you know. Um, 
So, yeah, I'd probably that in there as well for the, the sensible vote. Yeah, why not? Fair enough. Fair enough. If you can only drive one car for the rest of your life and you're allowed something that costs £500 on the side, you can name them both or you can name the one car. Up to you. One car for the rest of my life. Oh, difficult. Um, so it would probably, I'd probably go, yeah, it'd probably be rangy, wouldn't it? You know, just as the all-rounder to do everything for the rest mm. of life. A new rangy and then 500 quid. Um, probably one of those, you'd probably pick up a Robin Hood something or other, you know, the, you know, like the, the, um, the Lotus 7 kind of kit car thing. You'd probably get one of them for oh, right, yeah, quid, yeah. you? And they're pretty good fun. Like for the money, there's probably not much more fun than yeah. that for chucking around and having a bit of fun with. And you can tow it with the rangy. So, yeah, I reckon oh, I'd yeah, that. Perfect. Perfect, yeah. Like sideways, but not on public roads. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly your dead tracks and all that yeah um what is what do you think is the most undervalued car at the moment what should be worth more or or will be but i've just impulse bought a uh i've never seen it it's gone straight into storage um an e38 bmw and that's a i've just always wanted one it's got a 740 low mileage like full service history it's a lovely i'm not i'm not trying to sell it It sounds like i'm trying to Mm. to (laughs) (laughs) coming to the website soon (laughs) one lady owner um yeah yeah, uh and i think they i think that shape is cracking they're like bulletproof they i mean the problem with them is a relatively too many of them about still but like good Mm. unmolested ones not too many around so I i think that's an underrated car um, and I'm biased because I've just started speculating on one. But, you know, I could have paid five grand for it. And, you know, there, there were already you know, nice ones already for 10, 15, um, well looked after. So That seems um, like a, a decent purchase. Solid yeah. car, cruise around in it. Yeah, every man car. You fit the kids in the back, you know. It's a, yeah. a very usable modern classic that's a bit special, like a bit different from the, from the modern stuff out there. I've just had one pop up, which a 750 IL. Yeah, I presume this is an E. What is it? Thirty-eight as well, and it's got like, you know, like pop-down bits in the back. Yeah, and a telephone in the. Do you have a telephone? I've got a business telephone in the middle. Nice. Yeah, I don't know if I can get a SIM card for it anymore. It's probably like a massive <laughs> SIM, but um, yeah, it has got a business telephone in the, in the, in the, yeah, in the middle, um, middle at the front for business use. So <laughs> they're hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> right. Final question. Most interesting car to you at the moment. What you're googling? What you're looking up? Um, do you have to be modern or anything? Nope, anything. I've always wanted one of these. So, like one of the, you know, there's lots of like things that turn you into a petrol head, right? There's like the early experiences, like restoring the Austin Seven mm. with Dad and stuff like that. But definitely, Top Trumps have got something to want. I don't know if you ever had like Top Trumps of the you know, the cards of the. So there was yeah, a, yeah, yeah, I did. I don't really uh, remember any of the cars, but so I, I recently so like three-year-old bought him for his birthday the same set of top trumps that i had as a oh, nice. know, eight nine-year-old and you start to see them again i, I recommend it as like a you know, going back this. a bit and you start to remember all these cars that that was the one that was used to win and so one of them in this pack um was called a robert jenkel design tempest which was um a corvette um that had been heavily breathed on by this guy called Robert Jankel, whose main main gig was like, um, have you found it? Have you, uh, yeah. Have you, yeah, it's a cool looking thing. Um, I don't know if it is a cool looking thing or just, you know, I think it is because it was in my top trumps and it always used to win. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and there are some of them about, there's about, there's one on the roads in the UK, um, classic and sports. I did an article on it a little while ago. It's kind of cool, a convertible one. And there's about 10 left in the world. Um, and it's just a fascinating story. Like the guy wanted to just beat, every other car hands down <laughs> on all the stats basically so like yeah. this ridiculous tune motor in it um seven eight liter motor with a couple of superchargers and just made this ridiculous thing and i, I yeah. really want one i'd really love to see one if anyone out there has got one and would like to uh, like to do an article and like come drive it i'd love that um and it's just a real one of those like super low run you're never going to see another one um yeah. special thing um huh. yeah are they are they worth money now because there's none of them, or oh, no, I do, you know what? I mean, we're good at valuing cars, but when there are ten off of them and they're as rare as that, I don't know. I mean, I presume so. But you, you never see them. Um, yeah, it's one of those things. I don't know if you do this, but I've got Google Alert set up for the like the special cars that I want, right? The really rare stuff. Yeah. And I have a Google Alert set up for this car just to see if anyone ever, ever pops up for sale, and, and it's never happened. Sale. 
Yeah, it'd probably be one of those. It's exactly it's one of those things that comes up for sale, and they're like, "How much do you want for it?" Like, "Well, how much you bid?" And you're like, well, "I have no idea." Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no market for them, but um, but yeah, that's a, that's probably what that's one of the kind of the petrol head special cars, right? That put me on this path and, and got yeah. me working in my hobby every day. So um, yeah, how did you buy this this top trump? I'm now intrigued by this top trumps. Can you can you buy them just off them and be like, "I was this old," or how does it work? Uh, you, I, I remember what was on the front cover. So on the front cover of mine was a red Kuntash. And so I uh, basically okay. searched for what was the top Trump's deck with the red Kuntash on the it yeah, yeah, yeah. supercars of the 80s or something. And um, yeah, yeah. So Google it. Yeah, Google top Trump's car, like Google image search it. And you'll you'll suddenly remember and then it all comes back what you were doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. He'll be like, oh my <laughs> God. I think for me, I feel like there was like a McLaren F1 or something on it. I, was yeah. like, I don't really remember. I think it probably was. I'm going to find it's all sorts of top trumps rubbish now. Bugs, yeah. birds. Connectivity, <laughs> it's good. Well, that's a good one. You've de- you're definitely going to waste about half an hour of my time after this trying to find Sorry, find the good stuff. Connectivity, <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Really nice meeting you, Sam. Thanks for having me. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.